All right, what's up, comrades? Welcome to the Left Side of Liberty podcast, and today got another great show in store for you guys. Surprisingly, I don't necessarily have the usual suspects in the double video breakdown, at least not intentionally. There's one usual suspect, but uh, I didn't know he was in here because he he's only in here for like a minute. But um, anyway, before I get into the double video breakdown, though, I do want to remind you guys to send in your questions at uh, Jardine, J-A-R-D-I-N-E, J-15 at gmail.com. So J-A-R-D-I-N-E, J-1-5 at gmail.com and that's my email address and you can send me in questions if you want to or comment or whatever and you can uh, send them in to me and I'll answer them on air so gonna do that in possibly the next couple of weeks so be prepared for that and I'm really looking forward to it now for the double video breakdown, we have uh, a pretty special treat, or I have a pretty special treat for you guys. It is a double dose of probably the sleaziest, slimiest, slyest, just absolute horrendous politician at the federal level uh, that we have right now. One of the most for sure, and that is Ted Cruz. So there's not going to be Ben Shapiro, there's not going to be Candace Owens, because those are the top two. Those are, like, the, the people that I criticize the most. Nah. Today is a double dose of Ted Cruz uh, with a, a, a dash of Dennis Prager thrown in. But again, it's not intentional. I, I did not intend to critique Prager or Prager U uh, in this podcast at all. But he appears in this segment that I'm going to do. So basically, the first video that I have is from the is from just today, actually, uh, earlier today on Fox and Friends. Ted Cruz was on Fox and Friends, and he was he's talking about how number one, how radical and unreasonable people like. AOC and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib and the other Ayanna Presley. That's it. Uh, how unreasonable and radical those guys are, and uh, basically how they need to know their place and fall in line and blah blah blah. And basically, for those that want to know the background on it, basically the Democrats are finally. Uh, after a while, after all that smoke and mirrors that they, you know, have tried to, to, uh, deceive people with, there we go, um, they're largely giving Trump what he wants in terms of the border. They're conceding a lot to, to what he wants at the border and the, 
uh, Justice Democrats, or yes, they're now the Progressive Caucus or whatever. So the Progressive Caucus is, again, uh, Rashida Tlaib, AOC, Ilhan Omar, Ayanna Presley, Ro Khanna. Those guys have been calling out people like Pelosi and saying, what are you doing? You know, and so Pelosi got triggered by it. Trump got triggered by it. And that just shows the real quick before I start the video, that that's a very important point that even according to Trump, Pelosi and him actually kind of get along, you know? So forget all the, the Kabuki theater and the smoke and mirrors and the, you know, just the, the nonsense that goes on uh, and how they supposedly disagree when there's very, very, very little difference between the Democrats and Republicans. Once you dig beneath the surface and and get behind all that smoke and mirrors and uh, all the, the theatrics, you'll find that they're really not that much different, given they're not 100% carbon copies, uh, carbon copies of each other. They're still massively in agreement. And that's why I've said it before on this podcast that I agree with Noam Chomsky's statement that America is effectively a one-party state. And it's the business party. And given, yes, there, there are two wings but it is effectively one corporate serving capitalist rapacious avaricious political entity it's one entity with two wings so anyway and, and so Basically, the Republicans are freaking out because they're scared, they're terrified, which Ted Cruz is actually going to address. And even the the Democrats, the most of them are scared of AOC and Rashida Tlaib and all those people because they deviate just a little bit from the D.C. bubble. So, so they, because... They dare to step outside even just a little bit and say, hey, can we like stop all these wars that we're doing? And can we at least try to uh, improve the conditions here on the planet? Because they say that. Oh, and uh, can we at least try to uh, treat immigrants and asylum seekers like reasonable human beings and like they actually have value? Uh, no matter what patch of dirt they were born on. So because they say those things, people like Ted Cruz and the Fox and Friends idiots are like, oh, so radical and extreme. Ugh. You know, so it's like, yeah, uh, treating people with human de with basic levels of human decency and empathy and compassion. I guess if you want to call that radical, I guess it is, but it shouldn't be. That's that's for sure, man. That's for sure. So let's listen to what the geniuses, the, the profound intellectuals, uh, Ted Cruz, Steve Ducey, 
Elizabeth Hasselbeck and Brian Kilmeade uh, have to say about this issue. Oh, and Dennis Prager, too. Uh, he uh, doesn't join in directly, but they play a clip from him basically about... So th th there's two... This video is twofold. So first, he, uh, Ted Cruz is going to talk about the... Cent the uh, uh, the progressive caucus and how radical and extreme they are. And then they use that as a segue to say, Oh, and big tech is so progressive and they're, uh, censoring us poor conservatives, us, us poor victimized, uh, conservatives, you know, so let's play the victim as we accuse the left of constantly playing the victim. Let's do that ourselves. So anyway, let's, uh, get into this cause these are long videos. So, Lucky for you guys, we have 18 minutes of Ted Cruz being the slimy little weaselly snake that he is. So, anyway, Ted and the Fox and Friends idiots, uh, take it away, please. This is the agenda of white nationalists. Whether it is happening in chat rooms or it's happening on national TV, and now it's reached the White House garden. We remain focused on holding him accountable to the laws of this land and accountable to the American people. He does not know how to defend his policies, so what he does is attack us personally. We are more than four people. We ran on a mandate to advocate for and to represent those ignored, left out, and left behind. Our squad is big. And there you've got uh, four members of the so-called squad uh, in the five o'clock hour yesterday. You saw it live right here on the channel. Now you're looking live at Senator Ted Cruz of uh, Texas, Republican. He's the chairman of the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on the Constitution. We'll talk about some of the work you're going to do a little later today. But Senator, good morning to you. Good morning. Oh, I apologize. I think it's Ainsley Earhart that's uh, in there, not Elizabeth Hasselbeck. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I'm pretty sure it's Ainsley Earhart. But anyway, uh, with that correction in mind, take it away, Ted Cruz. Good morning. Good to be with you. Good to have you as well. How do you, how do you uh, depict what we have seen in the last 36 hours between the squad and the president and Republicans and Democrats and Nancy Pelosi? Well, look, the rhetoric has been a little bit overheated, uh, but the substance of it is the, these freshman members of Congress are, are radical and extreme. Uh, they, they are embracing full-on socialism. Uh, they are authoring the so-called Green New Deal, which, which would cost $93 trillion to the economy. That would have the effect of every family in America increasing your taxes $65,000 a year, every family in America. Those, these are radical and extreme plans. Uh, these freshmen, unfortunately, also have a long and troubling history uh, with anti-Semitism, engaging <laughs> over and over again, not just once, but multiple times in making anti-Semitic insults, sending anti-Semitic tweets. Uh, in fact, it was so bad that Nancy Pelosi and the House Democrats tried to censure 
those House freshmen for their anti-Semitic comments. They tried to pass a resolution condemning anti-Semitism in response to the comments. And, and it is a testament to the power in the Democratic Party those House freshmen have that, that, that the entire caucus fell apart. They couldn't hold the votes to pass a right. simple, clean resolution condemning anti-Semitism. I will tell you, I was proud that the, that the Senate did a lot better. I authored a straightforward, direct resolution condemning anti-Semitism. Tim Kaine, a Democrat, joined me. The two of us brought together. We had 56 co-sponsors, including 14 Democrats, and we passed it unanimously through the U.S. Senate. Every single Republican, every single Democrat. Right. And, and you want to know what the House should do in the wake of all this nonsense the last couple of days? They ought to take up and pass the resolution well, that the Senate it, just passed 100 to nothing. It? Why didn't they do it? Because most of the, the conference is terrified of those freshmen. They're, they're terrified of the radical activists behind those freshmen. And so they basically, the committee chairs, the, the speaker has handed her gavel over to those freshmen. The committee chairs have handed their gavels over to the freshmen. And every one of them are terrified that these freshmen will criticize them. And, 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 and what it means is, is the angry radicals, the people who... I mean, you saw well, in that Senator, clip right there that they're it, accusing the president the of being a white nationalist. Senator, I mean, the, speaker, that... the speaker did criticize them, and in turn, they accused the speaker of being critical of them because uh, they are people of color. And that's when the president inserted himself. So in the past, you and the president famously clashed, like Rand Paul, like uh, Lindsey Graham. And you guys got over it and you respect each other. Lindsey Graham basically said to the president, I understand where you're coming from, but aim higher. Joni Ernst and Senator Tim Scott uh, kind of thought the president was over the line. Where's Ted Cruz stand? Oh, listen, like most tweets the president sends, I wouldn't send these particular tweets. Uh, but I'll tell you, the substance of their record is indefensible. The substance of their record is extreme, it's radical, and I think we ought to be talking about the substance of their record, the substance about why, why they send tweets minimizing 9-11 and minimizing al-Qaeda when they attacked America on 9-11. That's troubling when you're, when you're saying things like that. Yeah, those are also things you wouldn't say either. Okay, okay. So, a lot to unpack there. The video's half done, so uh, thanks for sticking it out with me, guys. We got halfway through it. Uh, but then, of course, we have a whole other video uh, of Ted Cruz uh, coming up. So just bear with me and uh, we'll, we'll get through the, the silliness and the anguish together. So a lot to unpack there. He starts out, Ted Cruz starts out. By saying, oh, the Democrats, they, they are embracing full-on socialism. Look at the Green New Deal. It's like, uh, Ted, first of all, you know what I would do if I was, uh, if I was on Fox and Friends, if I was like a host on Fox and Friends, which I would never be, uh, because Fox News would hate me, because I would threaten their power and give control back to the workers uh, instead of these overzealous executive monsters and their shill hosts, you know, I, I would, you know, give control to the cameramen, the, the, the sound, the, the, the audio guys, the lighting guys, you know, I would 
give them all control and pay that and and make sure that they get out of working at Fox News what they put in to working at Fox News. So anyway, aside from that, I would if I was a host, I would say, Ted, define what you mean by socialism. What does that mean? What do you mean by that? And I would press him on it. You know, name me a single socialist policy that any of these guys have mentioned. And he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it. Uh, I, I guarantee you he couldn't do it. Now, the Green New Deal, the way it was written, admittedly, was a disaster. It was just bits and pieces of, uh, of certain things thrown in and it was kind of incoherent quite frankly and there was there were things about medicare for all in there thrown in uh so it was a very discombobulated disorganized uh proposal admittedly but the idea behind it is that it will number one, improve the environment, and number two, it will create millions of new jobs and generate millions, if not billions of dollars into the economy, just like how um, back when you, uh, during the uh, Great Depression, there was a huge public works program under the New Deal back in FDR's time, and you had uh, organizations like the Tennessee Valley Authority that, bas- that, that literally electrified the South and brought them at the time into what was the 20th century. So, and, and that drastically improved uh, in, in many cases, not, not every case, but in, in many cases, it did improve the lives of people in impoverished areas in the South specifically, but also in other areas as well, and generated millions of dollars into the U.S. economy. And, and, and along with programs like the GI Bill and Social Security, it got people spending again and, and livening up the economy again. So... That's what she's talking about, Ted. That's what AOC was talking about. And that bill, like I said, I I totally concede it was a disaster the way it was written. But the idea behind it is something that I totally support because it's a win-win. We produce cleaner energy and also we have an economic boom that's an actual boom and not just uh, an artificial boom like we're experiencing right now where the vast majority of people seeing any kind of economic benefit from this current so-called boom are the rich. Yeah, so... um, But anyway, then he goes on to say... Well, these uh, these freshmen are anti-Semitic. Oh boy, oh boy, where to start with that one? Uh, 
no. So, the only one that I don't know if she said anything about Israel or APAC or anything else uh, related to uh, Jewish slash Israel issues is Ayanna Presley. I don't know if she said anything about that, but uh, I do know that uh, AOC, Rashida Tlaib, and Ilhan Omar have all said things that, in large part, thanks to Fox News, have been twisted as anti-Semitic, but they're really not when you hear the context in which they were said. So, let's go through them really quick, one by one, and then we'll finish the video. But let's go through them. So, <clears throat> with AOC, her comments uh, recently, uh, she's been under fire about uh, comments she made about the detention centers at the, at, at the southern border. And they are absolutely horrendous. I, I read you an article from The Guardian where uh, there's photographic, not just, you know, hearsay and word of mouth. No, there's photographic and video evidence that these are places that are in horrible condition and they need to be drastically improved or done away with altogether. Let's let's do that instead, actually. That's a good idea. But anyway, the point is that I read that to you on air, those uh, concerns, and it sounds to me that they are effectively concentration camps because that's what AOC said they were. She toured these facilities... And she's like, yeah, these are basically like concentration camps. And the right wing freaked out. And they're like, oh, she's minimizing the impact of the Holocaust in the... Yeah, it's like, oh my god, are you serious, people? The phrase concentration camp predates the Holocaust. Now... I don't know if AOC specifically meant that these are like the Holocaust concentration camps, but certainly by the raw dictionary definition of a concentration camp, it is a concentration camp. You're concentrating people that you have a problem with politically or socially. That is what a concentration camp is. Now... I'm not saying these concentration camps have, like, ovens and gas chambers and all that kind of stuff, but I am saying that in a very literal and raw sense, these are concentration camps, and no, AOC was not playing loose with the definition of concentration camps, was not underplaying the... Uh, the significance of the Holocaust and the significance of uh, of those horrendous concentration camps like Auschwitz and Birkenau and Dachau and, and all those. So that's not what she was saying. And 
so the right wing hacks uh, got a hold of her comments and surprise surprise did a wholly dishonest smear campaign against her and now we're at this stage where you have a senator misrepresenting uh, one of his fellow uh, Congress people uh, misrepresenting what she said and is participating in this totally unfounded smear campaign against AOC. Now, I have said before, I have a lot of problems with AOC. I think that she sometimes can say untrue or suspect or kind of not very coherent things. But I don't smear her and I'm, I'm trying to help her be better uh, as a, 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 an effective or, or, or as a more, how should I put this? I, I, more, I don't want to say professional, but just a, a, a congresswoman that would appear to know more about what she's doing. And I'm not saying she doesn't because I believe she does know what she's doing, but sometimes she can talk in a way that makes it seem like she doesn't know what she's doing and she doesn't know what she's talking about when she actually does. So I'm actually giving constructive criticism and I'm not saying that she's an anti-Semite or is super, super dumb or whatever. You know, she's not the most intelligent person on the face of the earth admittedly, but she's a hell of a lot smarter for and knows more about the world than the president, certainly. So, uh, anyway, let's move on to Ilhan Omar. So what Ilhan Omar, uh, she has had two things that the right has jumped on her for, actually three. So first... There were the tweets that came out where she said, oh, Israel has hypnotized the world. It's all about the Benjamins talking about APAC. And she described in a speech about 9-11, they isolated this one thing where she said something like, because some people did something and that made that's all the right wing media played including fox news that's all they played didn't bother to put it in context and uh so let's go through one by one do i think that ilhan omar should have said israel has hypnotized the world no because that is similar to a conspiracy that jews basically again it's, it's basically saying you know, Jews are manipulating people and controlling people and blah, blah, blah. Now, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt and I'm going to assert that she didn't actually uh, didn't actually mean that, that that's not exactly what she meant. But the context behind it is 
it was in, I think, 2014, when Benjamin Netanyahu was killing innocent Palestinian civilians and lying to the UN about why they had to do that. So if you look at the context, that actually doesn't sound all that unreasonable. That's the context that, it, that Ilhan Omar said that in. And in regard to her, it's all about the Benjamins thing. That was about APAC. That had nothing to do with Jews as a whole people or even Israel as a whole country. It had to do with the Israel lobby in the United States. It was a comment more about money and politics than it was about, you know, about Israel or about APAC or whatever. It was it was more of a general thing like, hey, what are we doing letting a foreign country lobby our Congress and affect policy uh, for that country? It's like, no, let's concentrate on our own people. Let's, you know, we, we can't have... Israeli lobbyists and Saudi lobbyists, by the way. She's criticized the Saudi lobby, too, but it's funny. Fox News didn't mention that, and uh, the other right-wing sites didn't mention that. So Israel and Saudi Arabia are sending lobbyists to lobby our government to do policies that will be in those countries' favor, and Ilhan Omar calls that out and what does the right wing do? Oh, she's an anti-Semite. Well, again, she criticized the Saudi lobby too. So does that make her anti-Muslim? You know, so it's like, does that make her an Islamophobe? You know, so it's like, oh my God. And then with the, uh, again, with the speech about the 9-11 issue, uh, it was in a broader conversation about Islamophobia and about, terrorism and obviously Ilhan Omar does not support terrorism and she was saying it in the context of if somebody does something and uh, you know just because certain people did an act in uh, you know that that was bad and wrong and and cost 3,000 lives, just because of that, that doesn't mean we need to paint uh, the whole or the majority of the practitioners of Islam, the Muslims, as bad people. That's what she was saying. But again, right-wing media isolated the some people did something part of that uh, that comment that Ilhan Omar made and took it completely out of context and just totally distorted what she said. And they made it seem like she was minimizing 9-11 and saying, oh, it wasn't that big of a deal. No, that's not what she was saying. So, oh, and uh, before we uh, continue the video... Uh, Rashida Tlaib, that, uh, she is another one that the right wing smeared because she was on a podcast, I think it was, and she was talking about the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and uh, 
it was edited uh, by the right wing in such a way that it appeared as though Rashida Tlaib was saying something like, you know, it gives me a warm feeling when thinking about the Holocaust and then, it, and then they would just stop and not play anything beyond that point. And again, incredibly dishonest because if you actually bothered to listen to the actual things that she said, she was saying, it gives me a warm feeling when thinking about the Holocaust, not period, this was a comma. So, it gives me a warm feeling, comma, when talking about, when thinking about the Holocaust, comma, that my ancestors played a part in giving these Jews uh, a, a place to live. You know, so that's what she was saying. She was actually saying that she's in favor of Israel existing. She, like me, is critical of how it was founded, but she supports their right to exist. So, but of course, the right-wing media totally distorted what she said and made it seem like she was saying that, ooh, I get a warm, fuzzy feeling uh, when I think about the Holocaust. No, that's not what she said. So that's a very long-winded uh, way of saying Ted Cruz is just massively, massively sneaky and snivelly, and he's just a terrible human being. So anyway, let's uh, continue here because pretty soon they're going to get to the censorship issue which ties in quite nicely to the next uh video where ted cruz is gonna just he, he's just gonna bombard this google executive with silly nonsensical questions but first let's go back to ted cruz talking to uh, as I keep referring to them, the Fox and Friends idiots. And Dennis Prager as well, uh, indirectly talking. All right, let's uh, talk that, about, that is exactly right. <laughs> let's talk about the Senate hearing about free speech today. You're holding this. I know you've invited Dennis Prager to come um, to Capitol Hill to talk about this because it really affects him personally. Yeah. Listen to what he said earlier on our show. If there's anything you would think that liberals and conservatives would agree on, and admittedly there isn't much, you would think it's about protecting free speech. And now today we have at PragerU, we have a billion views a year, we're very effective, and of our 325 minute videos, about 60 are on the restricted list. That means if you block pornography, you cannot see a discussion of, uh, of Lincoln's address at Gettysburg. It's an absurdity if they say the algorithm. They created the algorithm. Let them give the algorithm to the public. This is how we ban videos. He said you can't even watch one of his videos about 
history, if you if you have blocked pornography, if you're a parent and you've blocked pornography, they and when we asked him why, and he said they hate us, they just don't want anyone to see our videos. You know, in George Orwell's famous book, 1984. Yeah. The way Big Brother controlled its power, the way the state controlled its power, is it controlled information. So we're at war with Eurasia. We've always been at war with Eurasia. And if that changes, the information simply disappears. We see in, in the big tech media companies that ex same, same exact power. A couple of months ago, I chaired a hearing with Facebook and Twitter and the censorship that they're engaged in online, the political right. bias. Today, I'm chairing a hearing with Google. Google is a monopoly. Google may well be the most powerful company on the face of the planet because they have a monopoly on information on what you know and what I know. And not only that, but Google owns YouTube, which is the second most popular website on the face of the planet and and the problem is they use these monopoly powers to silence voices they don't like listen dennis prager is is a brilliant thinker but but nobody with any sense would describe dennis prager as some sort of dangerous voice that must be muzzled okay so let's first go to dennis prager's point because <clears throat> he's been playing the victim, if you will, for about two years now. Or is it a year? It's either a year or two years. But regardless, so YouTube demonetized and restricted some of his videos. Not all of them, mind you, but some of them. And so he sued on First Amendment grounds. And his suit basically claims, or, or, or is trying to say, hey, let's regulate Google as a public utility. Google and YouTube as public utilities. It's like, well, thank you, Dennis Prager, for actually coming to our side instead of what you usually say when... Uh, an internet forum or website does something you agree with, which is, uh, well, hey, they had a, a, a right to say it. The government can't interfere in free speech. The government can't do that, blah, 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 blah. But it's funny. When it applies to him, all of a sudden, oh, public utility, public utility, free speech, free speech, First Amendment, free speech. Yeah, so uh, it's funny how that works. So... Here's the thing. Do I think Dennis Prager should have any of his videos uh, censored or demonetized? No. Uh, not at all. Uh, I actually want people to see his videos because as uh, I'm sure you can uh, surmise from my podcast, they're incredibly amusing and they're so easy to pick apart if you're not totally brainwashed by uh, uh, orthodox, uh, or, or, orthodox Judaic and fundamentalist Christian and uh, laissez-faire capitalist propaganda. You know, you know if you're not uh steeped in uh in those types of propaganda 
you can debunk PragerU videos. I bet if you are a sixth grader, you can debunk some of these videos. I mean, they are just so laughably stupid and misleading. I have no idea why anybody takes them seriously. But again, it's those people that have been steeped in just this far-right propaganda that uh, takes it seriously. And they don't dare question what they're being told. So that's the first point I want to make. Then to Ted Cruz... Uh, his point of, well, hey, uh, George Orwell said in 1984, you know, uh, the, you know, the, 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 you know, big brother is watching you, blah, 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 blah. Okay. So Ted, and, uh, it's funny because there was a PragerU video on this as well. Uh, okay. I grant you Orwell would not have supported uh, deplatforming or demonetizing or uh, banning or censoring whatever uh, videos online. I totally agree he would not support that. However, I find it amazing how these right-wing guys keep citing... The, these right-wingers keep citing Orwell when Orwell was a lefty. He agrees with us. He agrees with libertarian socialism or at the very least admires it. You know, he wrote a whole book called Homage to Catalonia, which was uh, George Orwell fought for Britain, I think, in, in the Spanish Civil War because uh, at the time of the Spanish Civil War, uh, all the, you know, almost all of the Western countries sent troops. Even we did, the United States, we sent troops as well. Because there were, there was this movement in Catalonia where they wanted to set up an anarchist society. And uh, Francisco Franco, who was the fascist dictator uh, in Spain at the time he needed help in order to uh, crush this movement and uh, fair is fair after three years he managed to do so so the revolutionary Catalonia period was from 1936 to 39 so Franco finally Suppressed it in 1939. Uh, and then the Western countries got distracted with uh, World War II shortly thereafter and whatever. But the, the point I'm trying to make is that Orwell would not be a Ted Cruz or a, uh, I don't know, or a... Even a sort of like, I was going to say Rand Paul, but he, he probably would like Rand Paul, at least on like NSA issues and things like that. Uh, but he wouldn't be a Ted Cruz fan. There, That's what I'm trying to say. He wouldn't be this strident, 
firebrand right winger. He, he, he just was, he was the complete opposite uh, of that. And people would know that, again, if they bothered to do basic research on uh, Orwell's life and who he actually was. So, <clears throat> anyway, there's only a couple minutes left, so let's get through it here. But if you're a leftist, he's a very dangerous Senator, voice because he res- responds with facts and reason, <laughs> and the left is terrified of so, facts and so reason. So do you... <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, so... Ted Cruz is like, well, you know, the, the left is terrified because they don't like facts and reason and Dennis Prager uses facts and reason. False, 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 false. Everything he just said there was false. Everything he said there was false. Dennis Prager does not use facts and reason. Again, he uses uh, orthodox, Judaic, and fundamentalist Christian propaganda and laissez-faire capitalist propaganda and especially in Dennis Prager's case anti-climate change propaganda because uh, PragerU is partially funded by the Wilkes brothers who own a fracking company a huge fracking company so gee I wonder why uh, Dennis Prager uh, allows videos to be released on his channel that deny the, the existence of climate change. Hmm, I wonder why. So, that's what he is, Ted. He's not a, quote-unquote, brilliant thinker. He's not, you know... Granted, he's not inherently dangerous. I agree with that point. Uh, he's not a dangerous guy. But he has very odious opinions about a lot of issues. And... He and again, those opinions deserve to be heard. I'm not disputing that, but you can't pretend that Dennis Prager is this like profound intellectual, you know, truth to power kind of guy. When again, all he is is a religious and capitalist propagandist. That's it. So uh, anyway, Mr. Cruz, or Senator Cruz, properly, continue. <clears throat> Tech companies. Do you know where you st- where does Ted Cruz stand? Because you're a free enterprise guy. Sure. Google wants to be the best. They do have a huge stake in our economy. Where do you stand? It is a great question, and I will readily concede the solution is complicated. Nobody wants to see a federal speech police deciding what is and isn't permissible. Uh, What we do have is three possible remedies. Number one, there's a special provision of law, Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, that gives Google and Facebook and Twitter and the big tech media companies a special immunity from liability that nobody else enjoys. And, And Congress passed that under the assumption they would be neutral public for. In other words, they weren't going to be biased, they weren't going to favor one view over another, they would let all comers come to their site. They've decided not to do that. They've decided to be hardcore leftists, to (laughs) silence, to throttle, to shadow ban conservatives, and I think if they continue to do that, there's no reason they should get a special immunity from liability that nobody else does. 
Number two is the antitrust laws. Listen, by any measure, Google is larger, it is more powerful, it has a larger market cap than AT&T was when it was broken up by the antitrust laws. It's larger and more powerful than Standard Oil was when it was broken up by the antitrust laws. Google is a monopoly. And, and Google is abusing its monopoly powers. We have antitrust laws to deal with that. And third, the Department of Justice can and should be investigating uh, along the lines of fraud and or breach of contract, which is, uh, look, when you, when you sign up, say, with a Facebook or Twitter, you assume that if you follow someone, you'll see their tweets, you see, you'll see their posts. Likewise, you assume if someone follows you, they'll see what you tweet and what you post. That's not, in fact, what's happening. What's happening is... The, the social media sites are censoring, they're shadow banning. If they don't like what you're saying, right, gotcha. they just hide what you're saying. That is essentially a fraud on the consumer, and, and they're deceiving the consumer because they've got a political agenda. Any of those three remedies needs to be considered, and I think the scope of this problem needs to be fully understood. The big tech companies know those are things that uh, could happen to them, so it'll be interesting to see what they tell your subcommittee. Sir, thank you very much. Good luck today. Thanks, Senator. Always a pleasure. Okay, so, um, so, there's one part of Ted Cruz, uh, of his little rant there that I actually agree with, which is that Google should be broken up. And we need to use, for instance, the Sherman Antitrust Act and our antitrust laws to break it up. I agree with that. I'm totally against monopolies. I uh, I am totally uh, against uh, uh, companies with a monopoly on anything. So, and that, that shows you, by the way, that I'm not a hack. You know, that I'm not like Ted Cruz where everything uh, that I say is in service to my side and I almost never give the... Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, he never gives the other side credit for anything, uh, except in very, very, very rare instances. You know, I've probably given uh, conservatives more credit on this show uh, in the past, let's see, how long have I been doing this fairly regularly for about six months and since I graduated college it's been about two months so um, uh, almost two months so I've probably done that more times on this podcast than Ted Cruz has done in his entire political career so that's there's the difference between Ted Cruz and me he's a hacky weasel and I'm just and, and I try to be as objective as possible within my own biases. So he's not objective as he presents this, this 
this facade of being this objective truth teller he's actually not that and he is again just a, a hacky corporate shill propagandist so now the difference between Ted Cruz and uh, and Dennis Prager that I'll point out really quick is that he that that I think Dennis Prager actually believes to his core uh, the uh, his religious propaganda. I I totally think that he buys into that. I think Ted Cruz just uses it as a tool, despite his father being uh, a priest or preacher or whatever he is, uh, despite uh, Raphael Cruz being uh, a devout Christian and uh, a dedicated preacher, I don't think that that actually translated down to uh, that did not transfer down to his son. He did not pass that on to his son. His son is a slimy, slithering snake, and he uses religious fund- fundamentalism as a means to pander to social conservatives. So, but anyway, um,. There's this false premise, by the way, that this whole conversation is based on. And that is that Google and YouTube are and Twitter are censoring... Um, that, that they are censoring conservatives. And that's true, but you know who they're also censoring? Leftists. It's true. They'll never admit that. The conservatives will never admit that. Uh, But it's true. They are also censoring people on the left. So it's not just right-wingers. It's anybody that dares to question the establishment and make no mistake about it, the big tech companies, they are part of the establishment. But that's what they are. They are part of the establishment. They're not leftists in any way shape or form they may have socially liberal views on on social issues but they are not actual lefties so what they're doing especially on youtube is they're directing people to uh mainstream sources so msnbc even fox news Uh, CNN, ABC, NBC, they're directing people to those channels, uh, to to the YouTube channels that these networks have, and they're not telling people to go to sites uh, or or, uh, channels, sorry, like Secular Talk, The Jimmy Dore Show, PragerU, Daily Wire. They're not doing that. So it's anybody that doesn't 100% fall in line with what the establishment wants and i find it funny that they they are uh 
that they are sen- censoring uh, PragerU and the Daily Wire in particular because those two outlets are the most pro-establishment outlets that there are in existence, I think. They, they, you can't get more pro-establishment than PragerU and the Daily Wire. So why they're censoring them, I really don't know. I think it's because they just haven't been accepted by the you know mainstream of the establishment. So maybe that's why. But that's why they're doing it, Ted. They're not doing it because they're lefties and they hate conservative voices and blah, blah, blah. No, they're censoring people uh, on both the left and the right. So anyway, speaking of that, we're going to go to a video. I may not play all of it, uh, but... We're going to go to Ted Cruz uh, again talking about uh, Google specifically uh, talking to a CEO uh, or like a, a top executive at Google about their censorship uh the allegations of censorship. And again, disregards the fact that left-wingers have also been, and, and people who I say are more to the left uh, as well, uh, disregards that completely and uh, paints this as exclusively a left versus right phenomenon, when really it's establishment versus slightly less establishment and anti-establishment. That's what the dividing line is. So anyway, uh, this is a shorter video, so let's uh, dive into it. Ted, take it away. I forget what the woman's name is. That's the the executive at Google, but uh, you got to watch this video because her faces are incredible. It's like she can't believe this guy. So... Anyway, carry on. Oops. Google, Google in particular. Sorry, Are some technical big... difficulties. Here we go. A lot of Americans have concerns that big tech media companies and Google, Google in particular are engaged in political censorship and bias. As you know, Google enjoys a special immunity from liability under Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act. The predicate for that immunity was that Google and other big tech media companies would be neutral public fora. Does Google consider itself a neutral public forum? Thank you, Senator. Yes, it does. Okay. Um, Are you familiar with a report that was released yesterday from Veritas... Uh, that included uh, a whistleblower from within Google that included videos from a senior executive at Google and then included documents that are purportedly internal PowerPoint documents from Google. Yes, I heard about that uh, report in industry news. Have you seen the report? No, I have not. So you didn't review the report to prepare for this hearing? 
It's been a busy day, and I have a day job, which is digital well-being at Google. So I'm trying to make sure I keep the trains well, on the sorry track. Sorry, this, this hearing is impinging on your day job. It's a great... <laughs> that was my favorite part of the whole uh, video, and there's six minutes to go. But still, that was my favorite part. Uh, when uh, Cruz is like, yeah, did you read this totally bogus and made-up report from Project Veritas uh, and James O'Keefe, who is a discredited right-wing hack that is totally not to be taken seriously in any way, shape, or form? Like, so did you read a report from him? And she's like, bruh, I got a day job, man. I got a day job. And... I'm like the, the, the senior advisor of well-being or whatever she said uh, at Google. That's my day job. And then Ted Cruz fires back like, well, sorry for uh, infringing upon your day job. It's like, oh, my God. So nothing really substantive to criticize or to add there. Uh, but uh, the one thing I will say, actually, there is one thing. I actually feel bad for this woman in most of this this hearing or whatever you want to call it. But there is one thing that's an obvious, obvious lie. And what is that obvious lie? Well, she says, well, hey, uh, we consider ourselves to be a neutral pub public forum. That's obviously not true. That's obviously not true. That's totally bogus, man. I mean, my God. You can't... Uh, you can't say that. It's it's totally... That's absolutely false. That's what I want to say. That's absolutely false. They are censoring people for their political views. And it just happens to be that the divide is, again... The, the establishment and the mainstream establishment versus people who are still establishment but slightly less establishment in the sense that they don't do the civility and decorum thing all the time. So that would be the Daily Wire, PragerU, all that stuff. And then, so so it's, it's uh, the mainstream establishment versus the slightly less establishment and the anti-establishment uh, factions. That's what the real divide is. So yes, they are engaged in censorship. It's just not the. It's not quite what Ted Cruz is painting it as. The reality is somewhat different. So anyway, let's continue. opportunity thank you i really well one of the it. things in that report and i would recommend people interested in political bias at google watch the entire report and judge for yourself uh, there's a video uh, from a woman jen janai it's a secret video that was recorded jen janai as i understand it is the head of quote responsible innovation for google um, are you are you familiar with miss janai I work in user experience, and I believe that AI group is somebody we worked with on the AI principles, but it's a big company, and I don't work directly with so Jen. Do you know her or no? I do not know Jen. Okay. 
As I understand it, she is shown in the video saying, and this is a quote, uh, Elizabeth Warren is saying that we should break up Google. And like, I love her, but she's very misguided. Like that will not make it better. It will make it worse. Because all these smaller companies who don't have the same resources that we do will be charged with preventing the next Trump situation. It's like a small company cannot do that. Do you think it's Google's job to, quote, prevent the next Trump situation? Thank you, Senator. I don't agree with that. No, sir. So a different individual, a whistleblower identified simply as an insider at Google with knowledge of the algorithm, is quoted on the same report as saying, Google, quote, is bent on never letting somebody like Donald Trump come to power again. Do you think it's Google's job to make sure, quote, somebody like Donald Trump never comes to power again? No, sir, I don't think that is Google's job. And we build for everyone, including every single religious belief, every single demographic, every single region, and certainly every political affiliation. Well, I, I have to say that that certainly does not appear to be the case. Uh, of the senior executives at Google, do you know of a single one who voted for Donald Trump? Thank you, Senator. I'm a user experience director and I work on Google Digital Wellbeing. And I can tell you, we have diverse views, I, I, it's but a I can't- question. Do you know of anyone who voted for Trump? Of the senior I definitely know of people who voted for Trump. Of the senior executives at Google? I don't talk politics with my workmate. Is that a no? Sorry, is that a no to what? Do you know of any senior executives, even a single senior executive at the company who voted for Donald Trump? As the digital well-being expert, I don't think this is in my purview to so, comment on so, so you don't know affiliation. That's all right. You don't have to know. I definitely don't know. I can tell you what the public records show. The public records show that in 2016, Google employees gave to the Hillary Clinton campaign $1.315 million. That's a lot of money. Care to venture how much they gave to the Trump campaign? I would have no idea, sir. Well, the nice thing is it's a round number, zero dollars and zero cents. Not a penny, according to the public reports. Okay. So, <clears throat> I just want to address what he was talking about uh, in terms of the implication that this woman, who's just a user experience director or whatever, So basically what Ted Cruz is saying is, hey, so do you know if uh, a single executive at Google voted for Donald Trump? As if this woman goes into Google every morning and, you know, says, hey, so-and-so, how you doing? Uh are we going to accomplish a lot today? Yeah, let's do it. Uh, oh, and by the way, uh, did you vote for Donald Trump in the last election? Ted, That's the, that doesn't happen. That's not a thing. People don't do that, you know? That's not, that's not something that... That's just a fantasy you're, you've made up in your own mind. That's not a thing. Um, I can't imagine anybody at Google... You know, you know, hey, t 
Tom, I don't know. Uh, how's uh, work on the algorithm going? Oh, fine, uh, John. Uh, oh, by the way, uh, who do you think, out of the two presidential candidates, who do you think had the best foreign policy? It's like, that, that doesn't happen, Ted. That's not a thing. So uh, you're trying to make it a thing, but it isn't. So... Oh, he's so irritating, man. Oh my God, he's so irritating. <laughs> so then he goes, "Well, uh, your uh, your colleagues basically you, they gave over a million dollars to Hillary Clinton, and uh, they gave zero dollars and zero cents to Donald Trump." Okay, and so. Basically, he's taking away their ability, Google's ability, to separate their personal political opinions and affiliations to... Uh, he's taking away their inability to separate that from... from doing their job at Google. And... I completely... I, I have a hard time uh, buying, excuse me, I have a hard time buying that they're in favor of, uh, or that they use their, that, that a majority of them, I should say, I have a hard time believing that a majority of them use uh, their positions to uh, attack um, specifically, I guess you could say, conservative views. That doesn't happen. They, they, they attack both sides. And I, but I don't think it's necessarily, I don't think it's like an everyday conversation thing where it's like a smoke-filled back room and they're like, Mwahaha, you know, how, how do we censor political opinions today? You know, it's like, mm, to a degree, maybe, but it's not like a pervasive uh, thing. Now, it sets up a bad precedent and it could become more pervasive in the future. I'm not denying that. And I agree with Ted Cruz, again, that we should break up Google, but, uh, you know, he's again, just playing the victim uh, in order to score cheap, partisan, hacky points. And with the Hillary Clinton versus Donald Trump donation thing, again, so what? Yeah, they're very similar candidates and uh, they, and these guys had, you know, uh, preferred one candidate over the other. So what? Again, in, in, in a country where there's not actually that much difference between the two quote-unquote parties, even though, again, there's only one party, but uh, you have two very similar candidates from two very similar parties. So it doesn't make much of a difference, Ted. But again, you're just doing this team sport thing where you're like, well, they didn't donate 
uh, as much money to my team. So, uh, you know, you're biased and you're evil and blah, 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 blah. Now, Google, again, is biased, but it's biased in favor of the establishment. It's not biased in favor inherently of the Democrats over the Republicans. It's the establishment over the less establishment and the anti-establishment. That's what they favor. So let's continue. And to be honest with you, I might just do, because I, I don't really... Well, n never mind, never mind. Just a thought in my head. Um, sorry about that. Uh, Ted, continue. Let's talk about one of the PowerPoints that was leaked. The Veritas report has Google internally. Oh, that's what I was going to say. Okay. Uh, so... Are we supposed to believe these quotes after all the times that James O'Keefe was proven to be a liar with like the Planned Parenthood sting videos and all the just these these very deceptive videos? Are we really supposed to take him at his word? But again, of course, Ted Cruz takes uh, James O'Keefe at his word because they are effectively the same person just these slimy hacky weasels that will do anything to score cheap partisan points even if it means again being a vicious lying snake so uh, anyway uh, I'm just going to skip the, the Veritas thing here we no, go sir. I do not. Let me read you another. Also in this report, it indicates that Google, according to this whistleblower, Deliberately makes recommendations. Oh, I said I was skip if there. someone is searching for conservative commentators, yeah, yeah, deliberately yeah. shifts the recommendation. So instead of recommending on delivering on user goals, so we try to get out of the way and get them on the task at hand. So a final question: One of these documents that was leaked explains what Google is doing, and it, it has a series of of steps. Uh, training data are collected and classified, algorithms are programmed, media are filtered, ranked, aggregated, and guaranteed. And that ends to with people, parentheses, like us, are programmed. Does Google view its job as programming people with search results? Thank you, Senator. I can't speak for the whole entire company, but I can tell you that we make sure that we put our users first in our design. Well, I think these questions raise very serious, these documents raise very serious questions about political bias at the company. Thank you, Senator Cruz. <laughs> okay, so she basically said, hey, you know, we try to be neutral and I'm not really involved in sort of like political conversations with my 
Google colleagues and blah, blah, blah. And Ted Cruz's takeaway from that was, well, uh, the report from Veritas raises serious questions about political bias in the company. Again, yes, they are politically biased, but they're not biased in favor of the Democrats. They're biased in favor of the establishment as a whole. So, oh my God, Ted Cruz, man. Oh, he is infuriating. Absolutely infuriating. All right. Anyway, let's get to the forehead. And I'm going to be relatively quick from here. So, uh, in Jacobin Magazine again, uh, as I cited last time, uh, there was... There's an article on their website uh, entitled Bernie Sanders. Sorry, Bernie Sanders, the boss's worst nightmare. So basically it goes through his record of publicly condemning uh, CEOs of big companies like Amazon, Walmart, McDonald's, Delta, uh, a couple of Wall Street firms. And basically how other Companies like Home Depot, Verizon, Goldman Sachs, and GE uh, have publicly denounced Bernie Sanders. And uh, they basically, in this article, which was by Megan Day. So this article basically commends Bernie on his willingness to uh, condemn the actions of the powerful elites and that basically he's the best candidate for working class people uh, in this election and certainly in the uh, on the democratic side but also as a whole so you can read the entire article again as with the last Jacobin article I I read it's a very <laughs> very long piece so but what what the reason why I wanted to go over this article was because Bernie Sanders since uh, coming into more prominence around 2014, especially in 2015, he uh, has been smeared as this hardcore socialist. And to be fair, in his youth, or when he was younger, rather, 
he was involved in socialist organizations, but since he's become a politician, he's become much, much more milquetoast and moderate in my eyes and in a lot of other people's eyes that share my views. And so he's been smeared as a socialist for about five years now. And he's not, actually, at least not anymore. But I do have to give Bernie credit for something. Recently, I think it was a month or two ago, he came out in favor of... Basically, he said that if he was president, he would propose a bill that would mandate by law that every uh, major corporation has to have in its uh, on its board of directors it has to have at least 40 to 50% uh, worker representation so it's amazing that after so many years of being smeared as this fervent socialist and doing nothing really to back that up he finally goes and does some semi-socialist stuff so and proposes some semi-socialist stuff so that's the point uh of me reading this article and it also mentions the stop bezos act which is great and the stop walmart act which says uh basically says no more tax breaks unless you pay your employees at least 15 dollars an hour and i think that that's a a pretty good pretty good piece of legislation so again you can read that full article uh, for yourself so it's on Jacobin and it's by sorry it's by Megan Day so next <laughs> So, this is from WSWS, surprise, surprise. And it says, Tamil Nadu government banned strikes in auto component industries. And this is by Erin Kumar and Kranti Kumara. And basically... It talks about how there's a state called Tamil Nadu in India that is completely under the control of corporations, essentially. And what they're doing now is they're using 
this piece of legislation called the uh, Industrial Disputes Act of 1947 to justify banning strikes from uh, uh, specifically in regard to workers in the automotive industries and in parts uh, industries. And this was a response to strikes that have been going on uh, for about a year or so. And uh, there were also strikes, uh, there were strikes uh, for an Indian car company, there were strikes for Yamaha, a, a Yamaha plant uh, in India, in Tamil. And not very surprisingly, the Communist Party of India and the, uh, the CITU, the Center of Indian Trade Unions, they actually sided with the business owners and they're like yeah uh guys we know we're supposed to represent you but uh hate to break it to you but we're actually not going to do that we're not going to do our job and we're actually going to side with uh the business owners so uh, among the things that they're protesting against, the workers are uh, some of the workers' cell phones have been confiscated uh, at work. Uh, HR meetings have been banned uh, or refused. And uh, the time cards and the machines that they feed into that you feed the cards into uh, have been, they're outdated and they don't work and they're deliberately kept there so the bosses don't have to pay their employees for overtime work so this is absolutely nuts so you're going to mistreat these people and then you're going to take away all of their ability to uh, and then you're going to take away all their ability to to defend themselves and their dignity and their basic human rights And they're basic. They're they're tying the the, the uh, IDA the uh, the uh, Industrial Disputes Act. There's a tie-in that says that you can't uh, strike if you're a public utility worker. And they're tying in car manufacturing with public utilities when it's typically used for things like dock workers, 
those types of jobs. It's like, you can't do that. What are you doing? Oh, my God. And, of course, the uh, at the federal level, uh, Modi is completely... Uh, they they are complicit in these uh, in these actions by the uh, business owners and the CITU and basically they're trying to save face by saying oh no we're totally in favor of uh, of uh, workers rights uh, but uh uh-uh, no they're not so, uh, I've covered Indian strikes quite a bit on this, uh, this podcast, mostly because, you know, they're the second largest country in the world by population. And they're a very significant country and they're one of my favorite countries. But also, unfortunately, they have a terrible record overall of uh, their treatment of workers. So uh, that's definitely a flaw in India. And I hope it changes at some point. And there are a lot of workers now that they're just not taking it anymore. They're not, they're, they're not going to take the, uh, the, the terrible treatment that they face from these elites and their compliant shills in the CITU and even the Communist Party. So, uh, next to another uh, WSWS story. And this is by Alex Lentier, who I've uh, cited before. And he says, Police crack down on undocumented workers occupying Paris Pantheon. So this is on, this this is from July 13th. So uh, he's going to talk about events of July 12th. So he says, Yesterday afternoon, 700 undocumented African workers occupied Paris's historic Pantheon building, uh, chanting black vests and demanding recognition of their right to reside in France. So they derive that name from the yellow vest protests and they arrested 37 of the 700 uh, protesters the the police did so and it basically said that this is a trend that you have these authoritarian governments that are not recognizing again the basic human rights and the basic dignity uh, of people like 
refugees and migrants it's it's so insidious and so stupid because again these are people you know these are people they're not some scary you know unknown beings no these are human beings these are fellow human beings man And uh, they're happening in Germany uh, as well, these types of protests. And they selected this, uh, the Black Vest protesters selected this uh, pantheon specifically because they wanted to demonstrate the, quote, contradiction between the democratic pretensions of the French Republic and its vicious oppression of refugees. So, uh, this is an absolute heartbreaking story. Absolutely heartbreaking, man. So, Yes, they are undocumented, but if they haven't otherwise committed crimes, just let them stay, man. Let them stay. And it says that 21 protesters are still in police custody. It doesn't say if anybody died uh, as a result of this violence. Uh, a lot of people were hospitalized. Uh, they, uh, he doesn't have a specific number. And basically he said that this is, you know, this perfectly shows the purpose of police and effectively what have become police states, uh, like France has become and like America is largely becoming. The, the purpose of police on the surface is... Well, they're to keep every they're there to keep everybody safe but the real purpose of police is to protect the private property of elites so uh, and the elites are threatened by uh, the elites the capitalists you know they're, they're threatened by these protests so they call in their subservient police forces to uh, quell these protests and try to make the protesters fall in line. So uh, I absolutely uh I absolutely <clears throat> stand in solidarity 
with uh, these refugees and undocumented immigrants. And again, like I said, if they have no prior criminal history, just let them stay. Let them stay. It's a piece of paper. Get over it. Um, last story of the day. Um, this is also from July 13th. So this is from The Intercept. Uh, the, the previous story was from WSWS, by the way, uh, as well. This is from The Intercept. And it's by Robert Mackey. And he says, Pete Buttigieg and Joe Biden condemn Israeli occupation as young American Jews urge Democrats to pressure Israel. And basically, so what happens is there's uh, this group called Young American Jews, which are, I guess, progressives, and they want to end the uh, elements of the Jewish American community. They want to end the support for Israel from certain parts of the Jewish American community and specifically uh, the politicians. So, uh, it says that both Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren said that they support young American Jews, which, uh, outraged, uh, far right Republicans and establishment Democrats. Because the most of the establishment Democrats are just as beholden to the uh, to APAC as uh, most Republicans are. So, and. Uh, So Buttigieg finally said in a, uh, a rally, he said, that uh, the occupation has to end. Um, and he was applauded for that uh, at this rally. And even... Ariel Sharon, who was a former uh, prime minister and a pretty right-leaning guy, even he said in 2003, they're like, yeah, we're kind of doing an occupation. <laughs> so even he can, uh, uh, even he conceded that it was uh, an occupation. And Biden uh, has also come out and condemned uh, this occupation. He called it uh, a human rights crisis and 
Uh, he said, I think it's the occupation is a real problem uh, and it's a significant problem. And Biden uh, says that he has a record of his support for condemning uh, Israel's occupation of Palestine. So do I think that Buttigieg and, <clears throat> and Biden are sincere in their condemnation of Israel? No. I'm not buying it for a single second. You know, because they even said here in, the, in this Intercept article, they even said that Buttigieg has actually had relatively conservative positions on the Israeli Palestinian conflict in the past. So pretty right wing uh, on the issue of, of Israel in the past. So I don't believe either one of them actually care about this conflict and care about resolving it. And I don't think that uh, either of them, by the way, have the chance, have any chance of becoming president. But if they were in the Oval Office, I don't think they would do anything to improve uh, the situation over there. Given it's horrendous, it's complicated, it's uh, it's a, obviously a gigantic problem, as even uh, Joe Biden admitted. I just don't think he's going to do anything about it. I don't think Buttigieg is going to do anything about it, because I just don't think that they care about anybody but themselves, and that applies to most of the people uh, in uh, the U.S. government, particularly running for president, with the exception of Bernie Sanders and Tulsi Gabbard. They have, uh, and I guess to, to a lesser extent, uh, Elizabeth Warren, and possibly Andrew Yang, but with those exceptions, everybody else is in it for just self-serving, self-aggrandizing, absolutely elitist reasons. So don't fall for it, man. Don't fall for it. I'm not falling for uh, this uh, tepid condemnation one bit and I don't think you guys should either if you have a different opinion that's fine I'm just saying be skeptical that's all I'm saying so anyway once again be sure to email me your questions and in a week or two I will answer them here on air and uh, yeah looking forward to it so anyway Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time here on the Left Side of Liberty podcast. Thank you.